All right, welcome to Park Church. Really glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, We are continuing on our Rooted series where we're asking big questions of faith, the sorts of questions that have have the potential uh, to root, to ground, to really plant our faith in the soil so that it goes deep into the ground of who God is so that it can become strong, something that can withstand any storm of life. But the answer to these questions also have the potential to completely sink our faith, to cut the, to cut the legs out, um, to uproot our faith. Uh, this morning, the question that we're asking, and you may have detected it from Sandy's prayer, you might have detected it from the fact that we announced money matters, you might have detected it because I'm wearing a green shirt. Our, our topic for this morning is this, it's how does God view money? Uh, This question, you might be thinking to yourself, how does this question have the potential to either really firmly plant our faith or to really destroy, to uproot our faith? This doesn't seem like this has that kind of potential. I think it does. I think it really does. And who cares what I think, though, right? You're here to hear what Jesus thinks. You might remember the very first message of this series, we retold a story that Jesus told. It was called the parable of the sower. And it pictures God like a farmer, If you're new, you might not have heard this. It pictures God like a farmer, and God is um, spreading his seed across his field because he wants faith to grow. He wants plants to grow and bear fruit. And out of the four different types of soil, only one of the soils actually receives the seed, and it grows and it bears fruit. So three of the soils fail. The third soil is a soil where... Um, the seed did take root, and it did start to grow, and uh, it did start to grow up. And do you remember what happened? Jesus says that thorns grew up around it, weeds grew up, and it choked the sunlight out, uh, it, it, it choked away all of the water from coming, um, it choked all the nutrients out of the soil, and because of the weeds that grew up around it, this otherwise good plant died. Do you remember what Jesus likens that, those weeds to? Um, the cares of the world, the lure of wealth, the desire for other things. Wealth, other things, the cares of the world, these things have the potential to choke the life out of an otherwise good and healthy and growing faith. And so we have to be careful about that. And so our question this morning, how does God view money? It's really something, it's, it's something more like, how should we, right? Um, how should we view money? If you're new to Park Church, let me say this to you before we really get going. Um, we don't typically talk about this. Uh, money, I mean, we make, you know, make no mistake about it. Our church operates because of your generosity and because of your giving. Um, but if you're new, we, we don't make it a habit of beating you over the head with money. We don't talk about money all that much. Uh, in spite of our one really bad Google review, um, I, I don't know if you're here. If you are, we've changed your mind on this. But our one really bad Google review, and I've memorized it, Places complete trash. Typical money-grubbing Christian service, right? Uh, I don't know. I hope if you're here, we've changed your mind. But this is, this is what people think about the church in the world, right? They're just money-grubbing. They're after your money. That's all, that, that, that's all it's really for. Um, it's one of the reasons why we don't talk about it that much, because we don't want to give people the impression that that's what we're all about, that that's what God is all about, or that God needs your money as if he needs your money. Um, because he doesn't actually, he doesn't actually need your money. Um, the thing is, though, Jesus actually does talk about money a lot. 
like a real lot. If you look at what he taught about, um, it's, it's, it's up there. It's right on par with uh, all of his like, biggest hits, right? He talks a lot about humility. He talks a lot about loving the unlovable. He talks a lot about um, hypocrisy, especially hypocrisy amongst like, religious leaders. And so it's this time of the message where I got out my stool. This is, today this is the, I'm going to get real with you stool, all right? Speaking of hypocrisy and religious leaders, I have a really hard time, and this is just me being honest. Uh, I'm getting real with you. This is get real stool time. Um, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm always real with you, but this is even more real. Um, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at giving away money. This is not one of the things like, you know, we have columns of strengths and weaknesses when it comes to following Jesus. This is in, you know, this is in my weakness column. It just is. Um, I wish it were different. I want it to be different. I know what I need to do for, for it to be different, but I'm not making it different like today. And that's a problem. Um, to the point where I actually didn't want to preach this sermon. I didn't want to give this message. And so I tried to give it away. Uh, I tried to ask people, would you be willing to talk on this? Would you be willing to speak on money? Um, would you like to take money? Would you like to speak on money? And the joke behind the scenes, this is a little inside Park Church humor, the joke is I couldn't even give away money when it came to preaching. Um, it's kind of fitting. So I say that to say I don't want to be a hypocrite. And every time I talk about you and what you should be doing with your money, what am I doing? I'm pointing one finger at you and three fingers at me, all right? And I, I honestly, honestly mean that. One finger at you, three fingers at me. Uh, why am I not good at giving away money? Why am I not giving at being more generous? I think there's a bunch of reasons. For one thing, and I bet you could kind of identify with a lot of these, um, I'm just worried I won't have enough, right? I'm not a worrier by default. That's not my mode. I'm really kind of laid back about things. Um, you know, I'll drive with the tank on empty, with, you know, like with the light on. Like, that's not a big deal. For, for me, um, going with the bank account on empty, that's a challenging thing for me. I just, I'm worried we won't have enough. I also, I like to have more than enough. I like it that if something, that if my car breaks down or if the house catches on fire, um, like, we could pay for it, and like, there's money for that. I like if a new experience comes up. Oh, the opportunity to do this comes up. I don't have to like rearrange my life to save in order to do that thing. Or if a new product comes along that I kind of want, I don't have to like sacrifice things to get it. I could just get it. I want to have more than enough. But also, I just like stuff, right? Like, I like stuff. I like gizmos and gadgets aplenty. I like who's it's and what's galore. <laughs> thing about Bob's. Um, I like, that's from The Little Mermaid, by the way. I, I like stuff. I like to have the newest gizmo, the newest gadgets. Um, you know, when the guy from Apple comes out with the turtleneck on and says something, like, I want to, you know, I want to buy those things. And I wonder, I wonder if you can sort of identify, I wonder if you can identify with some of that. That maybe you're, maybe you're a little bit like that, too. I think a lot of us are actually a lot like that. Um, because we all inherit our relationship with money from the, from the same kind of sources. We inherit our relationship with money from our parents. And if our parents were really good models of, of giving and saving, and spend, like, 
then we might have learned something. But for a lot of us, we just don't inherit good models from our parents. I mean, maybe you learned how to save, but did you learn how to give at all? Um, maybe your model that you learned from your parents was how to run headlong into debt, and now you're struggling with that. And so we just kind of inherit this pretty unquestioned for most of us. Um, the other thing is we inherit the appetite from society, right? Like, I see what you have, and now I want what you have. Um, I see that thing on TV, the guy from Apple with the black turtleneck comes out and tells, you, tells me about this new thing that's going to absolutely change the way you do life, and I see it and say, oh my gosh, he's right. That is going to change the way I do life. Uh, how could I do life without it? Looking back at my life, it was really pretty empty before I had that thing, and I need to get that thing. And we kind of inherit this stuff. This is the way that we inherit our relationship with money. Um, and for those of us who are following Jesus, uh, it's part of, it's one of the areas that we just don't want Jesus to touch. You know, we invite Jesus into our heart, but not into our wallets. The thing is, though, like I said, Jesus cares a lot about this. He's into it. He's into money. He's into giving. Um, not because he needs your money, but because he wants you to follow him, and he knows how destructive money and wealth and stuff can be in following Jesus. Now look, if you're not a Christian, if you're not someone who follows Jesus, you're kind of off the hook for this. You're able to sit by and watch and see if this makes sense for you. Um, hear what Jesus has to say. Even if you're not a Jesus follower, I think if you did what Jesus said to do, your life would get better and you would be better about money. But it's not for you to follow Jesus if you're not someone who follows Jesus, even though we hope that you would someday. But if you're a Christian, if you are someone who follows Jesus, you don't have a choice in the matter. You have to do this. Not because I'm telling you you have to do it, but because this is just what Jesus is going to tell you to do. And if you call Jesus your Lord, if you call Jesus your master, if you follow him one finger out, three fingers in, uh, you have to. Or else you risk just not being a Christian anymore. You risk not following Jesus as Lord or not following Jesus as master. So you are on the hook. The non-Christian is off the hook. You're on the hook. So let's listen to what Jesus has to teach here. We're going to look at a very important block of teaching from the Gospel of Matthew. Um, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is like some of his most famous stuff. Matthew, a little backstory. Matthew's interesting because Matthew was a tax collector. Um, back in those days, tax collectors were, uh, they were just hated people in society. Uh, their job was to basically be a shill for the Roman Empire. So um, Matthew was a Jewish guy. Um, this was, you know, this was God's people, the Jews, um, living amongst his people. And he basically took a job uh, taking taxes from his own people to give to the big bad Roman Empire. And then on top of it, he took additional money for himself. So he was wealthy. And so he was hated because of that. He was hated because he turned his back on his own people in order to gain for himself. So these guys were hated. Jesus, though, loves the unlovable, and so Jesus reaches out to Matthew, calls him to follow. Matthew leaves his tax booth behind. He leaves that behind, um, and he leaves behind his former way of relating to money because that's what you do when you follow Jesus. You leave behind your former way of whatever, relating to money, and you do that to follow Jesus. 
I say that for two reasons. One is let's let Matthew be our example, right? He's a model for us. For those of us who have a hard time leaving behind our former way of dealing with money, Matthew's a model for us. The second reason I say that is because Matthew didn't have to include this, right? He's recording what Jesus is saying. He's writing it down. Uh, Mark, Luke, and John, the other gospel writers, don't have this in their gospels. He includes this. He doesn't have to. If he wanted to leave the door open for having one foot in the tax world and one foot in the Jesus-following world, he could have. He could have omitted this. Oops, I forgot Jesus even said that. But he didn't. He left it in because Matthew knew firsthand, living proof of how destructive an unhealthy relationship with money can be in following Jesus. And Matthew wrote his gospel so that people would follow Jesus, and he, he made sure to put this in, and he talks about it a lot in his gospel because he knows what it means. So let's dig into what Jesus actually teaches. And here is, here is where he teaches. He writes, he writes, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I bet we kind of get this without having to explain it. Treasures on earth. Um, this, is, this is our default. This was the default in Jesus' day, storing up treasures on earth. This is why he has to teach the opposite, because this is what the default was. Um, we get this. Stuff, money, possessions, more house, more car, more TV. Uh, the verb up there for store up, it's literally the verb for treasure. So what Jesus is saying here is don't treasure treasures on earth. He's saying, don't accumulate treasures on earth. We need stuff. We need a car. We need, you know, clothes to wear. We need stuff, but don't accumulate it. Don't treasure it. Don't allow your heart to go into that sort of stuff because that stuff won't last. It just won't last. It's going to um, be eaten by moth. That's like bugs, nature. Nature eats away at our stuff. It's going to be eaten away by rust. Rust is time. Time decays what we have. It's going to be taken away by people. People uh, take things from us. That's sort of the way. So why would you put your heart, why would you put your treasure into something that you know at the outset is not going to last? And whether we think about it and talk about it in these terms, we do this all the time. I read a, um, a little article this week that came up on my Facebook feed, and it was basically a, a survey that they gave to 1,000 Americans. And the survey said, um, if, you had to, if you could upgrade one thing in your life to feel successful, to consider yourself a success, if you had to upgrade one thing to consider yourself a success, what would that thing be? The top six were um, more house. If I had 50% bigger value of my house, I would be considered a success. The second one was more car. It was about 50% more value of my car, I would be considered a success. The third one was time. If I had more time, I would be considered a success. And interestingly, it wasn't like if I could work less, if I could work differently, if I could work from home to spend more time. It was I can make more money so I can hire a housekeeper and hire a chef and hire a nanny and hire a pool guy and hire a groundskeeper. Um, that's what it was. Fourth was uh, um, living closer to your relatives, which I thought was odd because most people want to live further away from their relatives, right? Um, fifth was um, more luxury, like 
more luxurious vacations, more luxurious expensive electronics, um, more luxurious meals, and that's kind of where I fit. Um, <laughs> sixth, sixth was uh, financial security, financial control, financial freedom. Those are the things that uh, if, if you could upgrade in there, you would feel like a success. That's a thousand Americans. I bet we're a part of that. Um, where you put your treasure, that's where your heart goes. When you talk about it in those terms, it sounds really empty. But it, but, but it, also, sounds, it also sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Jesus calls us to something radically different. Don't treasure treasures on earth. Instead, treasure treasures in heaven. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And I bet if I didn't explain that, you would know what that means too. I bet if I didn't explain that, you, you could get what that means. But I'm going to explain it because Jesus explains it. He makes it really easy. Towards the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew writes about this again. Uh, there's a story, it's kind of a famous story, um, of a rich young man who comes to Jesus this is a religious guy, holy guy, wants to follow God with his life, loves God, comes to Jesus and says, teacher, what do I have to do to, to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to be with God forever? Tell me. Jesus looks at him and says, well, you know the drill. Follow the commandments. And the guy says, well, that's good, good news. I, I think I do that, but which ones are you talking about? Jesus says, you know, the top hitters here. Uh, don't kill people. Don't cheat on your wife, don't steal, don't lie, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, that sort of thing. The guy's like, great, I do all that stuff, check, no problem. What else? Jesus uh, looks at him, and Mark tells us that he looks at him um, and he loves him. He has compassion for him, he has pity for him, because Jesus knows how this conversation is going to go, and Jesus knows us. He knows our hearts, and that's both really scary, but it's also really comforting. Jesus knows this man. He has compassion for him. He says, here's what you have to do. You have to take what you have, go and sell it, and give that money to the poor, and then come follow me. Then you will have, what? Treasure in heaven. For Jesus, treasure in heaven means taking what you have and giving it away. It means taking what you have and selling it and giving to those in need. Treasure in heaven means um, sacrificing things that you otherwise would want in order to help people in need. It means sacrificing in order to be generous, in order to be giving. That's what treasures in heaven means. If you know the story, you know what the man does. When he hears this word, his head goes down, his shoulders slump, the sad Charlie Brown Christmas music comes on, and he walks away, and Matthew says he walks away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus goes on to say, you can read this in Matthew 19, he goes on to say, look, for rich people, for rich people, it's going to be really hard to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be really hard because what inevitably ends up happening is the more you have, the more you trust in what you have. The more you give yourself to those things that you have, the more you have, the more you trust in it for comfort, for security, for your future. And what that means is the less you're going to trust in God for comfort and for security and for your future. It's going to be hard. So 
Rather than do that, here's what you do. You go, you sell, and you give. And Jesus, Jesus continues with his theme, though, um, in the Sermon on the Mount. He writes, and this is kind of confusing, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness, and then the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? What the heck is he talking about, right? The eye is the lamp of the body. Um, in those days, they had the exact opposite understanding of the way eyes and vision worked. So we know that light bounces around things. It goes into our eyes. Our eyes or something in there flips it upside down. Our brains process it, right? And then we see. That's the way vision works. That's what modern science has proved to be true. Um, in those days, they thought the exact opposite. They thought that light shot out of your eyes, like Superman or like Cyclops, um, or I think like Yanish in Ghostbusters 2. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, they thought light shot out of their eyes, and when the light hit something, it illuminated it, and that's how you saw. And light came from within. And where did light come from? It came from the heart. And so you see the connection between this and the treasure, right? Treasure, heart, light, eye, vision. Jesus is saying, when you see, if all you see is money, if all you see is stuff, if all you see is possessions, if that's where your eyes are set for, your vision is bad. You're in darkness. That's the opposite of God. God is light. You're in darkness. If that's the way you see, you need to change the way you see things. And the way you change the way you see things is for your heart to change. It's for you to put your treasure somewhere else. Treasure, heart, light, eye, vision, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you can't see, right, it's time to change things. It's time to reprioritize. And Jesus isn't done, though. This is where he drops the hammer. He says, no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And to that, we want to say, yeah, we can, right? We can do that. Like, I can do that. I can work for God and work for money. I can put a lot of my time into God and also make a lot of money in the process. I can do both. Can I? Why can't I? The word that Jesus uses there for serve and masters, it's not like work like that, you know, like having two jobs. That's not what it's like. Um, it's serve and masters as in a slave and a master, this is not about work. This is about ownership. This is about who you belong to. Jesus is saying you cannot belong to two different masters. You can't belong to two different lords. You can't belong um, to two different things. You can't be owned by two. You can only be owned by one. You cannot serve both God and wealth. You can only serve God or wealth. Wealth up there... Um, You'll see, it means all of the stuff we've been talking about. Money, it means stuff, it means possessions. It means this weird word up there, mammon. If you have an older translation, or some translations actually use this word mammon, this is, um, this is kind of a strange word. It's a, I think it's like a transliteration of the original language into English. Um, and it means all that stuff, money, wealth, stuff, possessions. And, and it's got a capital M there in some of the translations, because what this has become over the years is this has almost been personified as an idol, 
as a god, as like another, like lowercase g, god. This is a rival god to like the capital, capital G god, um, Mammon. And it brings, up, it brings up the point that the thing for Jesus, the issue for Jesus is not stuff. The issue is not money. The issue is not wealth. The issue is ownership. The issue is who do you belong to? Who do you owe your allegiance to? Your time, your praise, your worship. Do you owe it to lowercase g, God of mammon, money, or to uppercase g, God? The rich young man, when he answered this question, um, he didn't answer it well. How did he answer it? Money, stuff, walked away grieving because he had many possessions. It was too much for him. But when you think about it, the question is, did he have them or did they have him? Did he own stuff or did his stuff end up owning him? We see it's the latter. His stuff ended up owning him um, because it kept him from life. He was talking to the giver of life and his stuff owned him so much that he walked away from life because his stuff had power over him. He had many possessions, his possessions had him and wouldn't let him accept life and he walked away from it. Um, if you're reading the Bible with us in the year of the Bible plan thing, on Thursday, you might have read this little line from the second letter of Peter. He writes, people are slaves to whatever masters them. Stuff mastered this rich young man. And what about you? One finger out, three fingers in. Do you own stuff or does your stuff own you? Do you have money or does your money have you? If you've seen the movie Fight Club, right? You know this is like one of the main themes in Fight Club. This is a movie from like the 2000s. Um, all about our view of like our possessions, our wealth, consumerism, that whole deal. Um, it's a really like pointed, wonderful critique of our culture, not safe for the younglings. Um, <laughs> Not safe for probably like the better adults in the room. Um, not really safe, but uh, it's a really great critique of our culture. The thing is, though, Jesus knew about this 2,000 years ago. And he's, I mean, he talked about this 2,000 years ago. And it's, it's completely counterintuitive. Because what we think, we think the more we have, the more money we have, the more stuff we have, the more possessions we have, the more freedom we have. The more we're in control, the more we're in charge. And the thing is, uh, maybe that could be the case, but really what ends up happening is the more stuff we have, the more that stuff has us. The more we're owned by that stuff, the more we're controlled by it, and we just get fooled by that lie. We get fooled by it so easily because we've bought into the basic lie, the definition of greed, that whatever I have, whatever I get, it's mine. Whatever comes to me, it's mine. Whatever I make, whatever my paycheck says, whatever the raises, whatever the bonuses, I win the football pool, um, I make money in stock market, the checks from Nana, it belongs to me. It's mine first. Because I earned it. Even if I didn't earn it, it's still mine because I'm me. It came to me. What I get, I have. It's for me. And when you get one finger in, three finger out, no, opposite. One finger out, three finger in. When you get, in your mind, whose is that first? Is that yours first or is that God's first? Is that yours first or is that God's first? The reason, the reason why all this matters, 
the reason why Jesus talked about money so much and the relationship with money so much, the reason Jesus taught about this, the reason Jesus modeled it, the reason Jesus interacted with that guy, the reason that this is included in um, our rooted material, the reason is because Jesus knew, Jesus knew, it's why he taught this, Jesus knew that the primary competitor for your life is money. It's the God of mammon. The primary rival for your heart is money. It's not Satan. It's not sin. It's not other people. It's not anything else. It is money. Because you can't serve two gods. You can't belong to two lords. You can't, have, you can't be mastered by two masters. It wants to be your master. One finger out, three fingers in. And I'm afraid it's winning too much. So what do we do to change masters? What, what do we do? We want to change our vision. We want to change our hearts. What do we do? The answer, you're going to see it. It comes right from Jesus. Um, if you're doing the rooted material with us, the curriculum sort of thing we've been doing, um, if you read day two already, it like really gives it to you really well. And we're going to talk about that. Um, if you've done it, you know. So here's the basic scenario, though, right? If you're owned by money, this is what we do. Um, we live on our money, right? We spend our money, we pay our bills, we do our things, we live on our money. Um, if you're a good person, if you care about your kid's future, if you want to save for them for college, if you want to retire someday, which I don't know who's going to do that, um, then you're going to save a little bit of money, right? And then if you're feeling extra good, you're going to give a little. Maybe you feel guilty, so you give some to the church. Maybe something comes up and you give something to something and you give. And so we live first, we save second, and we give third. Um, if you want to free yourself from the God of money, if you want to live differently, if you want to belong to God and to God alone, all you have to do is just flip it. You give first, you save second, and you live off the rest. Um, the rooted material gives some really easy numbers for us to remember, 10, 10, 80. You give 10%, you, you save 10%, and you live off of uh, the rest. You live off of 80%. Super straightforward, super easy. Um, I can see the mental calculators going on in your heads right now, uh, and we all got this, right? We're all good? <laughs> Go home, right? I know how challenging this is. I know how hard this can be. It's not, it's not, easy, for us, it's, it's not easy for us to do this. Um, it's really hard. For most of us, the breakdown is probably something more like 0, 0, 100, <laughs> right? Or like 1, 0, 107. Um, we give a little because that's what's the good thing. We don't save anything because who can save? And then we live off 107%, which means that we're just going into debt. We're going into hawk, right? Love the word hawk. Um, and you get a text message from your bank someday, and it says, hey, you're, you're broke. And you're like, what the hawk? Yeah, thumbs down, that's all right. Um, it's really hard because this is a completely different way of thinking and saving and spending and living, completely different than what most of us were raised as. And when we think about 10, 10, 80, what would that mean for my, for my life? When you think about 10, 10, 80, you think to yourself, oh my gosh, how could I live off 80%? How could I survive? I wouldn't have enough for this, I wouldn't have enough for that, I couldn't do anything, I couldn't. And the anxiety of that starts to come in, and the fear of that starts to come in, and the doubt of that starts to come in. And listen, treasure giving, generous 
self-sacrificial, God-serving people are inviting those things into their lives. Anxiety, fear, um, that's kind of the way it is. It's why immediately after Jesus taught, you can't serve both God and wealth, immediately the next thing out of his mouth is, therefore, don't worry about all that stuff. You need clothes, you need money, you need shelter, you need food. Don't worry about that stuff. God's got this. Don't be like the people uh, who worry about those things and care and are consumed by those and who put their treasure into those things. Don't be like those people. Uh, instead, just trust in God. He says, because look, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows. He's going to take care of you. He knows you need these things. Could you imagine if we actually believe that? Because we don't. Could you imagine if we actually lived like that? The world would be a different place if we actually believe this, if we actually live like that. He says, don't worry about that stuff. God's got it. Don't worry about stuff, about money, about mammon. Don't strive after that. Don't put your treasure there. Instead, he says, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you're going to get what you need. Strive first for God. Go sell and give. Do that first. You're going to get what you need. For those of you, one finger out, three fingers in, who strives first for other stuff, who strives first for what I get is mine, whose eyes are unhealthy, whose vision is bad, whose light in them is just darkness, uh, whose heart is bad on this, whose treasure is in the wrong place, it is time for us to reverse it. It is time for us to flip it around, to reprioritize, to do what the rich man could not do, and to do what Matthew did do. And here's how you do it. Three simple steps. I feel like a financial guru. It should be Money Matters with Matt Agressi. <laughs> here's what you do. Three steps. The first thing you do is you calculate your post-tax gross income, whatever that means. Calculate your income, right? Calculate your income and just do the math. Sit there and say, how much do I give? How much do I save? How much do I live on? After you're done wiping away your tears, <laughs> do another set of equations. This is step two. Calculate your 10, 10, 80. Calculate what it would mean to give away 10% of what I bring in, to save 10% of what I bring in, to live off of 80%. The third step, this is the hard stuff. This is where you need the coffee, the support. You, know, you need your prayer group writing for this. Um, Figure out what you need to do to get from there to there. Figure out what you need to change in your life to get from this place to that place. Ask yourself the hard question, how do I need to reorganize things to get from there to there? And then this is the hard part. Decide to do it because you're a follower of Jesus. Decide to do it because you're a follower of Jesus, not a follower of capital M Mammon, lowercase g God. Decide to do it. You could teach your kids to do this. I heard this idea. I don't know where I got it from. I heard this idea um, that you could put three jars in your, in your kid's room. A give jar, a save jar, and a live jar. And as they get money, as they get their allowance, make them put 10% in give, 10% in save, 80% in live. And then you give over time, and that, you give that away. And then you save, and that goes in the bank, and that works. And then you live off the 80, and you buy Legos, you buy candy, you buy toys, all that kind of stuff. What do kids buy these days? apps. They buy apps. They have in-app purchases. 
I watch my kid play with the iPad and the in-app purchases he wants, and I'm like, if we don't teach these kids with their buying power, responsible, giving, living, saving, I mean, they are doomed. They are doomed. But you could do that. You could teach your kids like that. Um, look, no one is telling you that you have to do this overnight either. No one is telling you you have to go from 0, 0, 100 to 10, 10, 80 overnight. But what I am telling you is what would it mean to move those numbers one percentage point in the right direction? What would you need to do to move them one percentage point in the right direction and try it? Try it for a month, try it for two months, and see how it goes. I'm also not telling you you have to give your 10% to Park Church. Let's just get that clear. I mean, make no mistake about it. We survive and live and do our thing and um, reach people and put money into like, the mission that God has given us. And all of that comes from you, from your giving. But there's a lot of good things to give to out there. A lot of good causes, a lot of good um, things going on in the world, a lot of good people who just need money. So you don't have to give it all to Park Church. But the point is, you do have to give some of it away. I mean, you do have to give that 10%. Here's the thing, though, about that. If we actually did this, and if a good chunk of you gave a good chunk of your 10 to Park Church, we're going to hear about our budget later, we would never have a problem with the budget again. It just wouldn't be an issue. We would make a budget, we'd pass it, we'd be good to go. Wouldn't be an issue. If some of you actually gave some of that 10% here and like really did it faithfully, um, we would never have a problem paying for something that we needed to do to go reach people in Monmouth County, to do the mission that God has called us to and that we want to be about doing. We would never have a problem with some high school kid or middle school kid who couldn't afford to go on a retreat and they feel bad about that. We would never have a problem with that because we could just pay for them to go. Um, if we did this as Christians, if, if like worldwide we actually did this as Christians, um, we talked about it last week, there'd be a whole lot less poor people. There'd be a whole lot less poverty. There'd be a whole lot less um, homeless, homelessness. There'd be a whole lot less crime because of poverty. That's just if Christians actually did this. There'd be a lot more freedom from debt. And if you actually did this, one finger out, three fingers in, if you actually did this, um, you would be a lot more free from the tyranny of money and from possessions and stuff in your life. You would be a lot less anxious. You would be a lot less worried if you were freed from this. You would be a lot more joyful. You would be a lot more happy. You would be a lot more generous. You, you would have a lot better life if you were to do this. And you could love God and serve God differently. Um, you could love others and serve others differently. You could enjoy God and enjoy others in a way that you just simply can't now because we are captivated by this thing, by this thing called money. If you were to actually do this, if we were to actually do this, there would be a lot more kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven than there is right now. There'd be a lot less faith being choked out by the weeds. There'd be a lot more fruit being born in the world. The question is, will you do this? Will you do it? According to Jesus, your faith kind of depends on it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift that, you gave, that you've given us, really, of all that we have of wealth. I mean, it's a gift that we live in this area, that we are the people who we are, that we have what we have. It's a gift, but as you clearly teach, it's also really, really dangerous. And so we pray, God, that you would uh, teach us the right way to relate to our money. Lord, um, if we're afraid, if we're anxious, if we're worried 
about giving away more, about living on less, about changing life because of that, God, we pray that you would break down those strongholds in our lives and grow in their place, grow faith in that place. Help us to trust you. You promise that our Father in heaven, you take care of us, and so we pray that you would help us to actually trust and believe that and to live like that. For those of us who want to look at our income and change the way we do things, give us the courage to do that. Give us the wisdom to do it. Show us how to. Lord, we want this community and our, um, our lives together as Christians to be people who impact this world for Jesus, um, who change things, who make a difference, who can bring your good news to the world. And so we need to be generous people. So we pray that you would make us generous people, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us and speak in us now. We thank you for everything. Jesus, help us to follow you and to look to you. Uh, and to belong to you as our single master and no one else. We pray this in your name. Amen.